Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Okay, so uh, man, it's good to see you tonight. It's good to be here. A um, couple of things. If you'd like to follow along with sort of the schedule that we're going to be following, uh, well, let me give you a starter. In 2020, January of 2020, I began basically the series that we're starting back tonight. And of course, February of 2020, everything changed and we had to reinvent the wheel here at the church, do some things a little bit differently. When we began the doctrine series, I recognized a book, Introducing Christian Doctrine by Millard Erickson. If you'd like a book to read along with the basic framework of what I'm going to be doing, then this would be a good book to kind of read along. I don't follow it directly in the terms of teaching, but if you want a little deeper study, this is a pretty good accessible book. I use this in the theology class I teach at Fruitland Baptist Bible College. Another book that I would encourage all of you to get and read is called Another Gospel by Elisa Childers, and this is one of the reasons why we're doing this course. It deals with uh, the progressive Christianity and Christianity that would say, hey, hold on a second, I'm not sure we're really comfortable with the Bible, so because we're not comfortable with the Bible, let's figure out a different way to think about Christian themes. That'll make more sense as we work through what we're going to cover. You've got a handout in front of you. So there are basically two major things I want to get through in the next 30 minutes or so. Let me get an introduction out of the way. What are we doing? We're doing theology. So how in the world do you do theology at a church? Well, I think it's tremendously important to do theology in a church, at a church, with a church. Uh, Tuesdays, uh, six months of the year, I drive down to Fruitland Baptist Bible College and I sit with about 25 or 30 students and we work through biblical doctrines. And the reason we do that is because we need to be able to frame our understanding of our faith in a way that helps our lives be formed spiritually. Let me explain it this way. We need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to take root in our hearts and lives and grow deep. And how does that happen? It happens as we unpack scripture and dive into Christian doctrine. That's how it grows deep. But I don't just want you to become academically or intellectually adept in these courses and in our time talking. I want that, but I want it to happen so that we actually are able to bear fruit spread out, make sure that our gospel isn't just something that is comfortable in a room with Christians, but we can take it outside of a room with Christians and let others know that our faith makes sense, that it's solid on solid ground, and that it helps others uh, be able to understand the good news of Jesus Christ. I think it undergirds all of those things in our lives. With that said, let's walk through why theology. Uh, theology is the study of God and God's relation to the world. So that's what theology is. And why do we talk about it? Because everybody does theology. Anytime any person says God thinks this or God must want, to want us to do that, that's doing theology. Politicians do theology when they start bringing God into the equation or scripture into the equation. Progressive Christianity brings, does theology. I read some books recently for some sermons I was preaching. And uh, one book was written by a historian. And she made the claim that she was not doing theology, she was doing history. She was primarily doing history, but anytime 
you say this is what God wants us to do and we make any reference at all to God's plans, wishes, or Scripture, we're doing theology. The question is not whether we're doing theology. The question is, are we doing theology well? In other words, does what we say about our faith fit with what God says about our faith? And to be quite honest with you, a lot of us have learned things over the years from well-meaning people that may not be quite as clear or may not be exactly what God wants us to put into practice in our faith. I think a good doctrinal study of Scripture should challenge us. I know it has me in my own spiritual life, in my own spiritual journey. The other reason for that is because theological study is meant for spiritual formation. Okay, I don't just want you to know academically things about God. I think what we're going to study here on Wednesday nights is going to help us know God and know Him better and more deeply. So what does that look like? Our study of theology will help us to know God. And let me give you some categories of theological study that we're going to work through. Uh, there are four major categories of theology. I just want to set a framework so you understand what we're talking about. Academic categories. The first is biblical theology. That is an investigation of how each author in a book, a Bible book, essentially looks at a particular doctrine. So, for example, we could talk about Paul's use of uh, grace in Paul's understanding of the doctrine of grace in the book of Ephesians. That's biblical theology. It's exploring it within the framework of a book of the Bible. There's historical theology. That's the second one there. That's how different doctrinal ideas have arisen throughout history. And historical theology helps us understand why we believe what we do or how did we come to this conclusion about, say, the doctrine of the Trinity or the deity of Jesus. And in due course, we're going to cover all of those. And as we deal with what the text says, we're also going to look at what has happened in history and how has the history of the church shaped our theological understanding of that issue or several other issues. Really what we're doing here, though, is systematic theology. That's what we're doing in these courses on Wednesday night. Systematic theology is a collection of Bible doctrines that flows out of an organized logical framework. It is that line of theological study that undertakes to set forth several doctrines of Christianity with reference to their particular significance in relationship to one another. Uh, That's a wordy statement. Essentially, it means this. As we unpack, for example, tonight, we're going to touch on the doctrine of revelation. We're going to see how the doctrine of revelation underscores the doctrine of God. Not fully tonight, but we'll get there. And how the doctrine of God relates to the doctrine of revelation. And how the doctrine of revelation relates to the doctrine of salvation. They interconnect. And that's tremendously important for us to grasp as followers of Jesus because the more we see their connection, their interaction with one another, the better we'll understand why it's so important that we get a full grasp of Scripture. The final theological category is practical theology. That's where orthodoxy, what we believe, meets orthopraxy, what we do. In other words, good biblical doctrine drives us to accomplish the mission of Jesus Christ. If we believe what the Scripture tells us about the eternal destiny of those who don't know Jesus, that should drive us to open our mouths and tell the gospel of Jesus to those who don't know Christ. So what we believe should drive what we do. 
Um, Doctrine is formed as we think about right knowledge affecting behavior. What we do, how we relate to God. Oftentimes, we think of knowledge in purely an intellectual format, right? What do I know? Do I know two plus two is four? We think about it from a scientific frame of reference. Uh, Christian theology and biblical doctrine is intended to be more than that, to be deeper than that. In fact, the word da'at, which is used in Proverbs chapter 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, that word knowledge there that forms the basis for theological understanding means relational knowledge, not just intellectual knowledge. So I want you to get this, and I talk with my students about this all the time. In fact, when we set the assignments up at the beginning of the quarter, I give them a journal assignment. Their job for the 10 weeks that we meet is to take, uh, is, is to take what they're learning in class and to journal about it one kind of paragraph a week. What is God teaching them about himself in the process of them learning, whether it's in an evangelism class or theology class or hermeneutics class or whatever it might be. Why is that? Because right knowledge about who God is should affect us in relating to God. The better we know who God is, the better we'll relate to God. And that's tremendously important for who we are. Theological education then... And, and we're in theological education. You didn't know that, right? You're, you're, you're Bible Doctrine 101 students. But listen, theological education, listen to this, is the formation of the people of God in truth and wisdom for the purpose of personal renewal and meaningful participation in the fulfillment of the purpose of God in the church and the world. I think it's tremendously important that we as a church, not Bible college classes at a, at a Bible college, that's tremendously, it's important for them to know that. It's important for us to know that too. Because we are the ones on the front line of living out our faith with people who don't know Jesus. So theology classes, theology study, diving deep into our faith is not just for the vocational minister. It's for all of us. And as evidenced, you think so because you're here tonight. I'm grateful for that. So why do we do doctrine and devotion? Why are we doing this? Let me give you three or four kind of basic reasons. They're not on the handout in front of you, but three or four basic reasons why we need to do this. One is for spiritual formation, as I've mentioned. Another is because false theology is out there all over the place. At least the Childers in her book, Another Gospel, talks about progressive Christianity. And that's a Christianity or Christian viewpoint that essentially would argue the Bible is not inerrant and infallible. And because it's not, we have to make the Bible fit what we'd like to be. And you say, I don't don't know much about that. I I could point you to some places to listen to some people, but I don't really want to do that. I want to teach you what the Bible actually says and form that well, but false theology is out there. Uh, Another reason why that's important is because you and I interact with false theology more often than we'd like to believe. Anybody in here willing to admit that they've read the book, The Shack? Don't raise your hand. It's on, it's on Netflix or Amazon, the movie of that. That's terrible theology. Don't be offended. We can talk about it sometime if you, if you don't, don't buy into that. Uh, we hear bad theology over and over again. 
here at Bad let me give you another reference. When I talked this past Sunday about the issue of women in ministry and women teaching in a church, that was clear scripturally. A lot of churches in our neck of the woods have, have kind of adopted bad theology and used that to be spiritually abusive to women in their churches. That's bad theology. It's wrong. It's sinful. And what our job is, is to be able to discern what is true, what is not true, what is right, what is helpful. And the better we dive into Scripture and know what God says, know what God expects of us, the better we'll be able to discern what is false and what is true. So, let me finish with this on the, the left side of your handout. We need to have a faith that seeks to understand. This gets at how we know what we know. One of the reasons why Christian doctrine is, um, is so important for us in light of what we see in the world is because... You look at that question, we would call it in philosophy the epistemological question. How do we know something is true? How do we know things are true? Uh, So how do we know gravity is true? Well, science tells us that gravity is true, right? If I drop my water bottle, it's going to fall to the floor. How do we know that two plus two is four? Well, rationalization tells us that. Math equations tell us that. Those are ways for us to know what is true, But there are other ways beyond that to know things that are true. How about the study of history? History can tell us what is true. History can tell us what is right, what's happened. History can also, or different views of history, can tell us things are wrong. How about experience? Experience is a way for us to know what is right or true or what we experience or maybe something that's really bad in terms of an experience. But how do we know about God? Have you ever thought about that? How do you and I know anything about God? Now, some of us know some things about God because someone told us about God. So there's testimony. You know about God because mom and dad told you about their faith experience with God. Some of us know some things about God because of experience, right? You came to faith in Jesus Christ at such age. And so you could share that by experience. But we don't know things about God through science. Science can, can kind of address some areas of Scripture or give us some insights there. But we don't know who God is from the framework of science. We don't know who God is from the framework of um, experience, ultimately. We don't know who God is from the framework of rationalization. How do we know who God is? How do we know anything there is to know about our Christian faith? We know it through revelation. I want you to think about this. There is nothing you know about God that God hasn't revealed himself regarding. Revelation, I'm not talking about the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. I'm talking about the doctrine of Revelation. It means this. Revelation means unveiling. It's to make known. So what we have in the pages of Scripture is God making himself known. God wants us to know him, so God spoke. Now, we won't get into the details of this tonight, but let me preface something that's going to be kind of in the front page of our conversations probably for the next six weeks. 
Revelation, we believe Revelation because God has spoken Himself into, uh, into Scripture or through Scripture. We believe that's authoritative. In other words, God is truthful, God is holy, God is righteous, God is right. He's spoken to us through Scripture, so then we're responsible and accountable for what God has said. Now, in a contemporary American experience, guess what? Revelation doesn't have authority. Other things have authority. The reason that that really matters for us as Christians is when we ground ourselves in what God says, we can be certain that we know what is true. So we're going to kind of unpack that as we move forward. What do we mean by revelation? Well, let's look at a passage of Scripture. Let's look at Psalm 19 real quickly. And we're going to look at revelation from two frames of reference. We'll give some definitions of that in a minute, what revelation is. Psalm 19 The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day and day, day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor their words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes goes out through all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun which has come out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. Like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens. Its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. What's the psalmist saying? He's saying if you look out at the world, if you see everything that is made, it's a declaration of the glory of God which is a very similar argument that Paul used if you want to skip forward in your own reading and read Romans chapter 1, particularly verses 18 and following. God is revealed when we look out and see the glory of the creation that he's made. It's a beautiful testimony. We call that general revelation. But general revelation is not the only way God has revealed himself. In fact, it's not even the primary way he's revealed himself. Special revelation is the way he's revealed himself. Him speaking through the Bible. God is a God that speaks, which means God is a God that wants to be known. When you speak, it's relational, unless you're talking to yourself, right? And then it's only conversational if you talk back with yourself. And then if you talk back with yourself when you're having a conversation with yourself, you don't want to admit that to anybody because then they'll think you're crazy. Speech is relational, Even the psalmist with the general revelation talks about general revelation being a a, a form of God speaking, revealing himself. But then he goes in verse 7. Notice this. Verse 7 of chapter 19 of the book of Psalms. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The psalmist says, More to be desired are they than gold, even in much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. What is he saying? He's saying that God's revelation, what he said to us in the Old Testament, the law... He says the testimony, the precepts, the commandments, the fear, the rules of the Lord. All of those are words describing the Old Testament law, the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets, the history writings. As the psalmist includes all of that together, he's saying that's how God has made himself known to us. And we wouldn't know anything there is to know about God if God hadn't spoken it to us. 
If we didn't have the 66 books of the Bible, we would be clueless as to who God is and what God wanted. But God gave us that. So what is God's revelation to us? There are four or five blanks there in front of you on the right side of your paper. Let me explain revelation using some of these definitions. First of all, revelation is personal. The God we serve is a personal God. Other worldviews have impersonal deities or impersonal ultimate realities. But you cannot have personality from impersonality. The ultimate being in our universe has to be a person because, folks, we're people. You are a unique individual. How did that happen? Because God is personal. And what I think is fascinating, if you look at the entirety of Scripture put together, through and through, spoken language is all throughout the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did God create the heavens and the earth? Anybody? He spoke it. He said. And everything came into being. And then you get... God with Moses. And that's how we have the first five books of the Bible. God spoke those words to Moses that Moses would then write down. How did God tell us what we were supposed to do and how we were to behave? He gave Moses the law, the Ten Commandments. Spoken words written down on a tablet that would be there for the people of Israel forever and forever. You move forward into the New Testament. How did God speak? Hebrews chapter 1, he spoke through Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ then written down in words. And why did God speak? Folks, this is beautiful. He spoke because he wanted to be heard by us. Revelation is personal. One of the things that's so beautiful is that if you really think about the God who created everything, if he's that powerful, he doesn't need anything. You understand that? God isn't waiting on us to fulfill him. And we'll talk more about that when we get in the doctrine of God, but he's not. He doesn't need us. So why did God speak? Because he loves us. He wants us to know him. He allows us to know him. Revelation, folks, is personal. You know, some people get get it in their mind that God speaks to them. And I'm not going to, we're not going to dive into all the details of what that may look like. Does God speak to you mystically and through prayer and all that? Let me tell you this very clearly. God is speaking to you. If you will just open up the book that he wrote and read what he wants to say to you. Not saying God can't speak to us in other formats. Although we won't dive into that tonight. The primary way God speaks is through his word. And he wants you to know him through his word. And you can trust that. Now what we're going to do uh, as we move forward with the doctrine of Revelation is we're going to underscore how we can be confident that what we read in scripture is authoritative and true, infallible and inerrant. And so that when you pick up a copy of scripture and read this and it says, thus says the Lord, we can be confident that this is thus says the Lord. Revelation is personal. A second truth, revelation is cognitive. That simply means it's intellectual. It's not some kind of, God did not relate to us in some kind of mystical way, first and foremost. Now, now, let me pull back from that for just a second. The Holy Spirit resides in every believer. You agree with that? Bible says that. Holy Spirit's living inside of me. If you follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. 
I've been a Christian since I was 18. I've been a pastor or a minister since I was in my early 20s. I've studied theology, taught apologetics, taught theology, preached and taught sermons. I have absolutely no idea how to explain to you how the Holy Spirit came to live inside you or came to live inside of me. That's mystical. It just is. The Bible says it. I accept it. I know he's there. God convicts me. The Holy Spirit draws me. He speaks to me through scripture. He informs my prayer life. That is mystical. And how in the world would we explain that to somebody else to get them to trust and follow Jesus? But that's not the first way God talks to us. The first way God talks to us is cognitive. It's through the pages of scripture. Listen, God isn't waiting on us to have some kind of unique, unexplainable experience before we know who he is. God has already told us who he is. He's spoken to us through the pages of scripture so that we'll know him. God doesn't want want, uh, us to have a hard time figuring him out. He wants us to be able to read who he is. And the beautiful thing about scripture is other than a handful of really hard passages... Most of the 66 books of the Bible are basic and straightforward and bottom shelf and easy enough that a a child could read it and get the primary emphasis of the text. Why? Because uh, revelation is cognitive. God wants us to know him. I'll give you a a third statement about revelation. Revelation is... You don't have these down, do you? No, yeah, it is. Personal cognitive... It's progressive. Progressive. Now, be careful with that term, okay? I've already called out progressive Christianity. I'm using progressive in two different ways. Let me explain this way. Progressive in terms of revelation is God didn't show Moses everything that he was going to show the other writers of Scripture all the way through the Bible. What that means is as you read the Old Testament... And you read some things about God and you say, I don't, I don't know. That doesn't really make sense to me. Realize that Moses didn't have the picture of Jesus in the New Testament. That's what progressive revelation means. It simply means that God didn't reveal everything about himself all at once. He's revealed himself over and over again or has revealed himself consistently through the pages of biblical history so that we know him. The difference between that and progressive Christianity, progressive Christianity wants to move us away from Scripture. Basically wants to create a Christian framework that doesn't rest on the authority of Scripture. So don't confuse those two different definitions. Uh, And then let me give you a fourth statement about Uh, Revelation. Revelation is not exhaustive. Sufficient. Scripture is sufficient. But get this, y'all. There's way more about God than we will ever know from what God has revealed himself to us. God's bigger than the revelation of Scripture. Now, that should give us confidence in the God that we serve, right? We can know God truly, but we can't know God fully. Or exhaustively. I'm telling you, when you get to heaven, you're going to be surprised about some things. So am I. I'm going to be like, man, we, we had such a small picture. We did have such a small picture because God is so much more amazing than what he's even revealed to us. So that sets us right. Here's why that sets us right. Because it puts us in a place of humility. All right? The more we study and learn about God, the smaller we get. The bigger God gets, and that's exactly where God wants us to be in relationship to him. 
The book of Isaiah, Isaiah puts it something like this. I'm going to get the quote exactly right. Blessed is the man who trembles at my word. It's the idea of humility at the very power of God, Isaiah 66 too. Let me give you a few other takeaways about Revelation. First, I've already mentioned this. Revelation can be divided into two major categories, general and special revelation. The next few weeks, we're going to spend time working through special revelation. That's the pages of Scripture primarily. Uh, general revelation, we give a definition of that because we won't spend any more time on that uh, in the next couple of weeks. General revelation is seen in three ways. It's seen in nature, so that's creation seen in history, and that's primarily the history of the Jewish people. One of the most fascinating things, as I taught Western history, Western civilization at Freeland Baptist Bible College, one of the most fascinating things about human history, particularly Western civilization, is how this tiny little nation, on the backside of nowhere in the Middle East, that never served as a kingdom, that never had an empire, that never ex- extended beyond its territories, has shaped the values, the laws, the philosophies, and the religious systems of Western history. Assyria overwhelmed the northern tribes. Babylon overwhelmed the southern tribes. Egypt was a place where the people of Israel were in exile. All right? How many of us in any history or philosophy or theology classes ever in our lives, have studied how the philosophies of Assyria, Babylon, or Egypt shaped Western civilization. All three of those were world powers in the ancient world. None of those influence contemporary thought and philosophy today. But you can't have a philosophy class, history class, political science class, theology class without dealing with the Old Testament. Why is that? How did Israel, how did the people of Israel survive World War II and Nazism? How did they survive all of those people who tried to destroy them all throughout history? Because folks, they're God's people. The only thing that makes sense in terms of human history and the people of Israel still living and existing in the world today is if they are uniquely the people that God said they were in the Old Testament. History is a reflection of the general revelation of God. Let me give you a third, the the blank there. History and humanity. Humanity. We are a picture of general revelation. If you question that, And here's what I would invite you to do. Look into other worldviews. Any other worldview you want to look into. Look in other worldviews and try to figure out what other worldviews say about why humans are persons and why humans can think and why humans can rationalize, why humans can love and relate. See, we were made in God's image. So our ability to communicate is a direct reflection of Genesis 1 and God creating Adam and Eve to speak. Our ability to moralize. Listen, we live in a world that does not agree about morality because we don't agree about the framework that exists under a moral compass. Our country is absolutely not in agreement morally. It doesn't, I mean, we... I don't have to convince you of that, right? Democrats and Republicans don't agree when it comes to moral right and wrong on a lot of things. You know what's amazing? Almost all of us agree that Russia was wrong for attacking the Ukraine. 
Where does that come from? How in the world do all of us essentially agree on that one thing? Where does that come from? It comes from the fact we're made in God's image. And a moral center, a moral longing is embedded in in humanity. That's why you go to other cultures and places in the world that never had the Bible, never had the Ten Commandments, never had any moral framework. They still have laws against things like incest and murder and theft. Where did that come from? Because God created us in his image. It's a beautiful depiction of humanity being an aspect of general revelation. So special revelation, this is the next line. What is special revelation? This sets us up for where we're going to go in the weeks ahead. Special revelation is this. Special revelation precedes the Bible. Precedes the Bible. Let me explain that a second. Okay, so the Bible is the written down word of God. The revelation to the Bible writers is the revelation that preceded the Bible being written down. In other words, when God spoke to Moses, that's revelation. Just like when Moses wrote down the first five books of the Bible. So God's special speaking to Moses, or Hosea, Jeremiah, or Paul, in whatever category you want to look at the 40 authors of the Bible, that God's special revelation to and through that person preceded what we have written down. And God's, you see that all over some of the Old Testament interactions, particularly with Moses. So God's special revelation precedes the Bible. It's through Jesus Christ. That's Hebrews 1.1. It's through Christ. Meaning that the culmination of special revelation is all about Jesus. He's the centerpiece of biblical history. He's the centerpiece of, of biblical thought. He even said in Luke chapter 24 that uh, the Old Testament prophets and law, they all speak about me. They all foretell about me because the point of Revelation is to get us to see Jesus. So special revelation precedes the Bible, is through Christ, and the Bible is the product of God's revelation. So what we have, the 66 books that we have in the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament books, that is the canon of Scripture that is the product of God's revelation through about 40 different authors over 1,500 years of history. And it is what is in front of us in order for us to be able to know God. The case I'm going to make over the next several weeks is essentially this. How can we trust that this tells us anything truthful? tells us anything meaningful, tells us anything that matters. And how can we actually take what the Bible says, like I did Sunday with that text that's hard and that, that, that sometimes we'd like, to, we'd like to wrestle with? I heard, one, I heard one writer put it this way. I won't get it exactly right. He said, he said, it's okay for us to wrestle with Scripture as long as we're not wrestling against Scripture. There are plenty of times that you and I are going to face a text and we're going to be like, mm, I, I really want to know what that means and I got to dive into it. Maybe I'm not even still sure. I'm going to make a confession. I've been doing this 20 years or so in my life. There are still some places in Scripture that I wrestle with and I'm not entirely sure. Steve, you with me? Vance, you with me? I mean, there are some places we, we believe it. You know, Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, there's some places we look at still wrestling with what does it mean? But we're not wrestling against it. 
I don't go to it thinking I know better than the Bible. I go to it recognizing this is God's word. I've got to submit to it ultimately. So the case I'm going to try to make with you over the next several weeks is how can we know that? And the reason that's important is because if we are going to even come close to saying that God wants us to do X, Y, or Z in our Christian experience, this is where we learn what X, Y, and Z is. And if we can't trust the Bible, we can't trust God. If we can't trust God, then we can't trust what God says. Um, So let me leave you with four takeaways that we'll close up for tonight with. We'll walk through these quickly. The first one is the most important one. If you don't get anything else, get this. We can know God. Folks, when you walk out of here tonight, you go home and you get in your bed and get ready to go to sleep and you whisper a prayer to God, God wants you to know that he's listening and that he cares about you. He's personal and he's relational. And he wants you to know him. Not just about him, but know him. That he's with you wherever you go. That he's indwelling you. He wants you to know that. I think that that should just blow our mind. It still blows my mind that God would let us know him. But he, he wants that. Uh, here's a second claim. This is going to be a little harder. Maybe I'll have to make a case for this later. Um, but I'll just go ahead and say it. General revelation is sufficient for judgment, but not salvation. Uh, if you want to see more about that, d- dive into that claim, that takeaway. Go to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following. Essentially, Paul's argument there is God has revealed himself in the world, revealed that he is God. But that general revelation, while it is sufficient to bring judgment upon everybody in the world because there is an opportunity for them to know God, know that there is a God to follow, to worship, to love, to receive, while that's sufficient for judgment, it's not sufficient for salvation. What needs to happen for salvation is someone hear the gospel, the gospel that comes through the special revelation of Scripture. It's one of the reasons God didn't just create the world and say, know me. God created the world and then spoke through Moses and the other authors of Scripture, so that we would be able to truly know God. Third, special revelation, and I've just made this a point, is necessary for salvation. We need to know Scripture. That's why, folks, if we deny Scripture, if we start tweaking Scripture, eh, I, don't, I don't like this and I'm going to pull back from it. What's next in line? Salvation is next in line. The reason progressive Christianity or gospels that are in contrast with Scripture, are so problematic. It's because you can have all of the framework of Christianity without the salvation that it preaches. If you don't have the Bible that is the authority. So I'm going to tell you, if you're going to tweak Scripture, one of the quickest things you're going to tweak is that you're a sinner and that you need Jesus to atone for your sin. And that's what progressive Christianity does. Liberal Christianity for... 150 years, that's exactly what it's done. It, every time it shifts away from the Bible, the very next thing or the third thing down the line is a restatement of what salvation is. And I'm going to point that out over the next couple of weeks. Here's the last thing. The Bible is of primary importance for knowing and obeying God. Nothing more important than God's Word. Nothing. Um, I... Let me, let me share a humbling statement, okay? I, I've, I'm blown away that we have like 160 people here tonight. That's fantastic. I'm thankful that you're here. I hope 180 of you show up next week. More than that. 
good thing is, if you're not able to make it, we're podcasting this. So by Monday of the week, we'll have this available for you to download. Anywhere you download our podcast, you can go back and listen to this this night's talk. Uh, people that are interested, they can download it and listen to it. You're away a week. You can download it and catch up. Again, it'll be a few days before it's uploaded and all that kind of stuff. You can download it and listen to it. But hear me say this, and I mean this with all my heart. If you never came back to one of these sessions, if you never came back to church, read the Bible. You want to know God? Read the Bible. There's absolutely nothing you can do for your faith that will deepen your faith more effectively than scripture reading. I want you to pray. We need to pray. We did that tonight. I want you to be in church. I want you to hear us walk through scripture. One of the reasons that's important is because the way I try to preach and teach scripture is is intended to be instructive, but also informative. How do we read? How do we apply? How do we study? How do we interpret? I'm trying to help with that over the course of preaching and teaching like we're doing tonight. But if there's nothing else you're going to do, folks... Go home and pick up the Bible and recognize that when you read Genesis or Matthew or 1 Timothy, it's God speaking. And God speaking so that you can know him and so that uh, you can share him with others. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.